This evening in your Bibles, we once again would direct your attention to Luke chapter 2. Uh, again, you can find this as this morning on page 1179 if you're using uh, the Pew Bible. And before we read this passage, uh, just a, a bit of recollection, we kind of intended for the Advent season to make our way through a variety of the songs that are recorded in Scripture, in large part that we might have an understanding of uh, what was prophesied, what was proclaimed would be the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also to look at uh, the various ways in which persons responded to the pronouncement of the provision of a Savior. And then this morning we looked at, you might say, uh, the basic details of the Incarnation. Uh, and we thought it was also then uh, fitting and appropriate to conclude this so-called Advent series uh, by looking at a song that comes upon uh, the fulfillment of the promise, uh, the actual birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and the song uh, of the angels. And so we want to read Luke 2, 1 through 20 again this evening, but then we'll be focusing our attention in the time allotted to us, especially upon verses 13 and 14. Hear now together once again the reading of the Word of God. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Thus far this evening, our reading from the Word of God. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I want us to reflect just for a moment on a question that I have presented to us for a few times, a question for us to contemplate, and that is the question, what is our purpose for existence as a congregation, as a, a church, as a local church? Uh, why do we exist? 
What is our ultimate purpose? Now, when we ask that question in regards to us as a congregation, implied is also that whatever answer that might be also applies to us as individual persons. What is our purpose for existence? In some, and I know this could be fleshed out in more detail, but in summary, I would say, and you can evaluate this according to what you see in Scripture, our purpose is to glorify God, to praise God, to worship God. At times, you know, you'll uh, see churches and, and they have certain purpose statements or whatever it may be, and uh, you'll you read them and you evaluate them. And there's a whole host of things that, that churches say as far as their identity or as far as their purpose. But I don't know that you can do any better. I don't know if you can be any more biblical than to outright say our purpose for existence is that we might glorify God by praising Him both now and forever. I say that you ought to evaluate that statement according to Scripture and see if that's true. I believe it is true, and I believe that it is revealed also in the words that we want to consider this evening from Luke 2, verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. But someone might object and say, but these are the angels. Well, I would reference Psalm 103 and say that the angels' actions are exemplary for our own actions. Uh, now, we, of course, bear the image of God. The angels do not. But the angels give us an example of how we ought to conduct our lives as we respond appropriately to the provision of the incarnate Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for our instruction and for our encouragement this evening, I want to briefly consider the song of angels. I want to acknowledge in that theme or in that title, the word song here perhaps is used broadly. Uh, We're not exactly sure what uh, this sounded like when it came forth from uh, the source of the angels. Perhaps it was simply spoken. Perhaps it was chanted. Perhaps it was some type of poetical flow. Uh, But for our purposes, we'll call it the song of the angels. The song that the angels sang as the light began to shine into the darkness. Heaven speaks to earth through the song of the angels. I want to look first of all this evening at the reason for the song, and then secondly, the content of the song, and then thirdly, the revelation in the song. So the reason, the content, and the revelation that are combined uh, within this song of the angels. First of all, the reason for the song, the song can only be understood in its context. Uh, Why the angels are singing can only be understood Uh, in connection to where the angels are singing or when the angels are singing. If you ask yourself the question, where are the angels singing, uh, the text reveals suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Notice that these are heavenly hosts. So often we have, in kind of a superficial Christianized way, uh, a light view of angels. Maybe we think of angels as kind of fluttery spiritual beings, you know, and they're very pleasant looking uh, in our imagination. That perhaps has been directed more by uh, artistry than by biblical truth. Uh, But the actual phrase that is used is the army of 
the host. These angels are mighty creatures. Now, we emphasize they are creatures. They are not the Creator. There is a distinction between God alone as the Creator and everything else as elements of His creation. And the angels are created beings. They are not equal with God. They are not gods. They are less than God. They serve God. But they serve God with a certain might and with a certain power as they are present in the heavenly throne room, so to speak. As those first in line to observe something of the glorious attributes of our eternal God. And that's why it's noteworthy that, as far as I'm aware, every time uh, in the gospel narratives when an angel comes and interacts with a human person, the human persons are always taken aback. And they never just smile and say, oh, look what a sweet, cute, pretty little angel. But rather they're taken aback as they see something of the reflective glory of God. And that's why the angels also have to repeatedly say, do not be afraid, verse 10. Do not be afraid, do not tremble, do not fear as you are confronted by our reflection of the majesty of the God whom we serve and on whose part we come and give these messages. And so there is not just simply a, a, so to speak, superficial hallmark flavor to this text, but rather a holiness and a reverence. The army of hosts break forth in song upon the realization of the event of the incarnation. As we considered it this morning, but we just reference again verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son. That's the occasion. And now this son is the eternal Son of God in the fullness of time having taken a very real human nature unto himself. And so just to review a little bit of the specifics of Christology or the doctrine of Christ. What do we believe concerning the person of Jesus Christ? Well, what we believe is that which is revealed in Scripture, and when you put the pieces, not that it's some complex puzzle, but when you put the pieces of God's revelation together, the first thing we say about Jesus Christ is that He is the eternal Son of God, and we refer then to His divine nature, very God of very God, co-equal, co-essential, co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we understand His divine nature, His divine nature that is unchangeable. But we also understand that the mystery of the incarnation is that that divine nature, while remaining exactly what it is, the divine nature, also takes unto itself a very real human nature, our nature with a human body, and with a human soul. Made like unto us, the author of Hebrews tells us, in all points with one exception, with one necessary exception, with one notable exception, that Jesus Christ, human nature, was sinless. And then theologians talk about not only the two natures, the divine and the human, but the one person. And now, yes, these matters are complex, and as faith grows and matures, uh, there is a gradual understanding in these things, but never a perfect understanding. But these are the basic doctrines, the basic truths that are behind the angels bursting forth with song. And they are beholding, as it were, the revelation of the mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh. 
And so with their reflection of God's holiness, the angels, the army of hosts, they're now observing what God in His holiness and in His righteousness and in His majesty is doing, the provision of a Savior. And so there is this announcement of the incarnation. Verse 10, we find it summarized as one angel speaks, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Doesn't there seem to be a plethora of bad news in our world? No matter where you get your news, no matter what source you turn to, doesn't it seem that there's a constant barrage of bad news? Perhaps at an international level you read of the ongoing conflict between uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Or maybe you read reports or listen to reports of uh, the ongoing uh, oppression within the regime of uh, China or the ongoing conflict all throughout the Middle East. And maybe that news so overwhelms you that you turn your eyes a little bit closer to a national level and you read or hear reports of uh, such things as the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, which is no respect for marriage as God has designed it in His creation ordinance. Maybe you begin to hear reports of the ongoing horrific actions of abortion. And maybe that discourages you to the point that you look even closer to home. But then, isn't there also a constant flow of news within our own personal lives that can cause us at points to despair? Seems to be bad news everywhere you look until you look up. In my mind's eye, I see these shepherds, not just by my imagination, but according to the Scripture, out in their fields. What were they doing? Routine, ordinary life. There they were, shepherds, watching sheep, until heaven began to speak. And then they lifted up their eyes and they heard a message of good news. And that's the gospel. And maybe that's what you need to hear tonight. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, maybe for the thousandth time. Behold, glad tidings. But as we look a bit closer then at their song, Notice in our second point is content. Uh, I want to just summarize it and then point out the emphasis within the content. And in summary, I want to do, first of all, uh, by way of contrast, notice what the angels do not say. The angels do not compliment the shepherds. The angels do not say, well, what fine men you are. Uh, Now, we might, you know, look at the vocation of animal husbandry with a certain appreciation, and rightfully so. Uh, But shepherds were one of the lowest members of society. Uh, A very common vocation and a very disregarded vocation. It's, It's noteworthy, of course, that the gospel message first comes to the very lowest members of society. But in the message, the message does not emphasize to the shepherds, look inside yourself. Uh, The message is not to the shepherds, look at what you can become if you only advance yourself 
in your careers. The message isn't, well, things will get better if you can just increase the, the size of your flocks, and if the markets are well, and if you have a favorable return upon your investment, then that is the message of good tidings. But no, in dramatic contrast to what our culture would continually bombard us with, that the good news is what we are and what we can potentially become, this is radically different. Because now what you have, figuratively speaking, is heaven is speaking to earth and heaven is saying there is the proclamation of good news. And when the eyes are lifted up unto the heavens, then the eyes are turned away from oneself. And you notice that what the angels are doing, if you just look at the grammar very carefully, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising, and I just want to look at the word that follows praising, praising God. Praising God. And I would submit to you, and I, I say this not on the basis of my own experience, but in line with my own experience, I say this on the basis of Scripture, uh, and here also, uh, test these things, and if you find them to be lacking, certainly uh, let me know. But some of the most discouraging times within our life is when we become internally focused. When we become internally focused. When we can't seem to get our eyes back up to God. The angels, the multitude of the host of heaven are praising God. The, the being of God in the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the ultimate object of our affections. And, and all we're trying to emphasize is that the angels have what we call a a theological focus. In the entirety of their existence, uh, their whole lives, if we can speak of, of it that way in regards to angels, it's all focused upon God. They're there in the heavens. They're surrounding the throne of God, and they, they, they seek to do the will of God. They delight to do the will of God. But the entirety of their lives is God-focused, and that also must be true of us. As, as a church, and us as individual persons. Because you can apply this to a, a church, to a congregation. There, there's a danger that we become turned in upon ourselves. And that, and that we spend too much time contemplating who we are, maybe what we were, maybe even what we hope to be. But if all of that is considered at a horizontal level, well, it will lead either to extreme pride or extreme despair. But when our eyes of faith are lifted up unto the heavens and we behold our God, then we will have a sense of purpose and then we will be rightly aligned. Then we will come to know that our existence is this, uh, that we focus upon the person of God, especially then as the person as He works redemption. Uh, they're praising God, but notice why they're praising God. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. They're praising God because of who God is. He is inherently, infinitely holy and worthy to be the object of our utmost reverence, but also in connection with who He is, is the great things that He has done. And, and this has to be why we study our Bibles. This has to be why we study theology this is why we ought to, to pray fervently that the Spirit would give us a 
hunger and a thirst for sound biblical theology, not just that it might be an end in and of itself, that we might then boast in our theological uh, knowledge, but that with that theological knowledge that our minds and our hearts might be consumed by the majesty and the glory of our God, that we would then join with the angels and with the redeemed throughout the ages and saying, all praise, honor, and glory be to God for who He is and for what He has done and what He is continuing to do and what He has promised that He will do in the future. This theological emphasis is woven all throughout uh, the remaining uh, of Luke 2 also. You notice there uh, in verse 20, the shepherds returned. Uh, And this is not unnecessary repetition. This is not Luke stuttering and stammering. Uh, This is inspired repetition. But notice what the shepherds are doing. They're glorifying and they're praising God. Now there's the addition of the word glorifying, but if you look at verse 20 and compare it with verse 13... In essence, the shepherds are doing exactly that which the angels were doing. And then you can continue to drop down. Uh, And in verse 28, uh, here we have another song that perhaps in in due time, uh, not this year, but uh, maybe at another time, we could look at the song so-called of Simeon. He took him, that is the incarnate Savior, Jesus Christ, in his arms, and he blessed God. Notice, he blessed God. As his eyes of faith beheld the provision of a Savior, his initial response was to bless God. And you can also continue uh, one more example as you make your way uh, down. Uh, we come to Anna and to her expression of response in reaction to the provision of a mediator. Verse 38, coming in into the temple that is. And that instant she gave thanks to the Lord. And so you have the angels and you have the shepherds, and you have Simeon, and you have Anna, and they're all engaged in the same activity, glorifying God, praising Him. And that also ought to be our continued activity. And we can reflect upon also as another year soon draws to a close, and we can reflect upon our own actions and attitudes And I just simply ask these questions, and you can search them out within your own heart. Do you find great joy in praising God, in worshiping God, in glorifying God, in all aspects of life, but especially when you join your hearts together with your spiritual brothers and sisters? You know, the psalmist said, it was good, it was good that he had been in the house of the Lord. Do you agree with the psalmist? You say, yes, it's been good to have been among the congregation of the church because we praised God together. Do you see how a theological focus puts so many other matters into proper perspective? Do you know how many persons, Sabbaths, are spoiled because of some horizontal issue? And 
their eyes, their minds, their hearts are fixed on those horizontal issues. Sometimes even to the point of dreading worship, of avoiding worship. Now, I'm not pretending to know the answer to all of those horizontal issues, but I would say that step number one is lift up your heads and behold your God. Because when you see God in all of His majesty and all of His glory, that begins to put everything else into its proper perspective. All of His glory and majesty, especially in what He has done as it is revealed, as we consider in our third point in this song. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I just simply first want to look at this concept, this truth, this reality of peace on earth, and then also look at the phrase goodwill toward men. Uh, There was, of course, the well-known book, I think they made it into a movie at some point, All Quiet on the Western Front. I have to acknowledge, I've never been in military, never been in battle, never been in war. I remember when I taught at a Christian school formerly, there, there was a substitute teacher. He was a World War II veteran. George Jager was his name. He's passed on now. The kids all loved him because when he subbed, all, they'd get him to tell stories. And he would be very, very quick to accommodate their request. He was a machine gunner uh, in the European front. And, and not with any type of false bravado, but he would recollect the stories of wave after wave after wave of an attack battled off with his machine gun to the point even that in between the attacks he would have to go out in front of his bunker and clear bodies away so he could get a clear line of fire for the next wave of attack. He told me once that you're changed forever when your commanding officer says, fix bayonets. He said, you're never the same. And he said the most beautiful sound was silence after the battle. But especially on the way home. Peace. We use the word so often. But as it's used here, yes, it involves the sense of the absence of war, the absence of conflict. But it also has this aspect of reconciliation with God. Because when I think of George Jager, when I think of the silence that would have come after a battle, when he was still on the Western Front, and I know I'm mixing up the world wars between the Western Front and World War II analogies, but when he was still on the Western Front, there was always the next battle. But when he came home, and when he married the love of his life, Then there was peace. No more conflict. And back with the one that he loved. Uh, That's my, perhaps, futile attempt to get us to understand this wonderful concept of peace. This is why the angels break forth to the shepherds. They say, in essence, 
The conflict between men and God has been dealt with. And instead of that conflict, there is fellowship. There is friendship in the most sanctified of terms. You can think of this as it's summarized in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we understand that we have peace with God, how can we not but sing and glorify and praise and worship our God? A word on the phrase, goodwill toward men. This is not that peace is towards men who are of goodwill. It's not as if the cause of the peace is to be found in men. That's a translation that's out there. Uh, The Vulgate translated it that way, and so there was this ongoing error uh, among some that believed that the Lord looks down with heaven and and sees men who have good intentions within their hearts, men who are uh, goodwill, and God then blesses such men with peace. And of course, this ties in with the emphasis upon humanism. And and so many, many a pulpit, if they are even occupied on this day, would say to uh, whoever would gather to hear, well, if you are a person of goodwill, then God will bless you. But that's not That's not the message of the gospel, and that's not what the angels are saying. The goodwill is not on the part of men. The goodwill is on the part of God. And God's goodwill is found in His eternal decree. God's goodwill is found in His grace and in His mercy. God's goodwill is found in His sovereign establishment of a covenant of redemption and His sovereign provision of a substitutionary Savior. God's goodwill is that He chose to save. And God's goodwill is that He chose whom He would save, including human beings of all social levels and all races and all nationalities. And we, of course, understand, strictly speaking, that there is only one race, but we refer to as it's commonly used in our own day. And so the good news is that there is peace with God based upon the goodwill of God towards men. And now when you really step back, and and that's why we're so thankful for our Sabbath days, because they force us, don't they? They force us to reflect upon truths that we know, but truths that we can so quickly and easily take for granted. But when we step back and perhaps with renewed interest listen to the song of the angels, is there not also reason for you and I to join in with them in glorifying our God for who He is and also then for what He has done? Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise You and glorify You. You are the object of our affections. We love You, O God. Uh, We love that you are God, and we love that you are a God of grace and of mercy. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are amazed at your grace, and we are amazed at your mercy. Uh, We are amazed that in your grace and your mercy you have provided peace, and that you have a hard attitude of goodwill toward us, your people. And we ask that you would help us to reflect upon these things and to respond appropriately by praising and glorifying our God, both in this day and also in the days that lie ahead. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.